But I'd like to begin today with a quick look at what we call our vision frame. Most of you have been here for a while, have seen it a number of times. You'll see it on the screen now. Our vision frame, uh, I like to think of it as a window frame through which you look into the future. And in the future, what we anticipate is the fulfillment of our vision 2025. But for the moment, I'd call your attention to our values on the left side of the frame, the top one being Bible-centered. What we mean by this is that the teaching of the Bible is foundational to everything that we do, everything we are and hope to be as a church. We believe what the Bible says of itself, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. And so this value really defines who we are as a church, and I want to stress that particularly as we begin a new series of messages today called Truth and Love. The marks at the top of the vision frame are simply expressions of the values as they are being lived out in the lives of our members. So biblical understanding is something that we, we hope to each be making progress in. On the next slide, you'll see the very first statement from our vision 2025, and uh, it reads this way. It's a highly important part of our vision expressed in the very first sentence, that in the year 2025, River Oaks is known as a church where people have a strong knowledge of the Bible joined with active compassion outside of the church. Now, notice that love for truth, which we believe to be God's inspired scripture given us in the Bible, but also active compassion, that is compassion that's doing something for those outside of the church. So from time to time, I think it's important for us to, to ask ourselves, is that true of me? Is this becoming a reality in my life? Am I Am I known as a person with a strong knowledge of the Bible, and is my strong knowledge of the Bible being expressed in active compassion for those outside the church, even those with whom I disagree? Truth and love, love and truth. This is the key idea in the series that we will begin today and continue for several weeks. And it's my hope that increasingly we at River Oaks will be known as a people who embrace fully God's truth as given us in the scripture, in his word, but we walk with love toward all people, even those with whom we disagree, even those who might reject us. This is following the example of Jesus. The Bible says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth, truth and grace, truth and love wedded together in Christ. And Jesus is our example. He's our example for relating to people who may disagree with us, people with whom we may disagree, relating to them with both truth and with love. Jesus' life is the perfect model for relating to this world in which we live with love and truth. Now, today we're going to begin with the foundation for truth. We're going to look at Jesus' own view of Scripture. 
And I do have special uh, concern today for our high school graduates whom we're, we're going to honor this morning because they're going into a world that largely, largely denies the truthfulness, the authority, the inspiration of Scripture. And graduates, whether you're going to college, whether you're going into the military, whether you're going into missions or a trade school or work or, or some, directly into work of some type, there'll be challenges. If you hold a view that all scriptures inspired by God as our church does, you're going to be challenged. And challenges will come, I think, primarily from three different areas. There will be intellectual challenges if you go to a college, particularly one that's not uniquely uh, Christian. Um, it may be considered absolute foolishness to believe that God has really inspired and preserved accurately his word for us. Yet I want to say to you, I believe there is tremendous evidence for a reasonable, intelligent, educated person to believe that it has been inspired by God and preserved by God and is authoritative for us. And as part of that, today we're going to look at Jesus' own view of what the Scripture is. Challenges will come uh, intellectually. Uh, more often, challenges to the authority of the Bible are going to come from people who reject the Bible simply because they don't want to honor uh, what they think it teaches about certain moral issues. Sex over and above everything else, probably. People reject the Bible uh, because they don't want to submit to its moral teaching. And others, thirdly, finally, will reject it just because they simply don't understand its teachings but have been told by someone else what it teaches. I think of the student who came up to me after church one day several years ago, not anyone I've ever seen here since. Really nice guy. After the service, he enjoyed the service and it was complimentary of the, the different elements of the service. But he said this, but I can't accept the Bible. I said, well, why not? He said, because the Bible supports slavery and says God hates gays. He says, the Bible endorses slavery and says God hates gays. I don't remember exactly what I said because it was a few years ago, but I think I said something like this. Could we talk about that just for a moment? Because frankly, I believe he was wrong on both those points. And wanted to let him know that the Bible in no way endorses slavery. In fact, if you read the book of James chapter 5 in the New Testament, there's one of the strongest statements in the entire New Testament of condemnation against those who oppress workers and don't give them their wages. And by the way, could you tell me where it says that God hates gays in the Bible? I don't think I've seen that anywhere. Often there's simply misunderstanding. And so as you graduates go out into the world, I hope you'll be people who are strong in your knowledge of the Bible. And you can, you can gently, lovingly correct those who don't understand what Scripture teaches. I hope today that we will, as we look at Jesus' view of the Bible, we'll be able to better respond to people who say this. And they say it quite often. People say, I like Jesus. I, I, I believe in Jesus. I accept Jesus. I think Jesus was wonderful. I like what he said about forgiving people and love. Ah, but I, I, I reject the Bible. I mean, the Old Testament says we, we, we can't eat shellfish and you can't sow a field with two different kinds of food. So we've got to reject everything the Bible says. 
you'll encounter a lot of people like that. And I hope today that by focusing on Jesus' view of Scripture, we can strengthen your own view and understanding that all Scripture is inspired by God. When I use the word Scripture this morning, I'm talking about um, the books from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New and I want to begin this morning by looking at Jesus' own view of Scripture. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus viewed Scripture, and he only had what we call the Old Testament. That Jesus viewed Scripture as the absolute, inspired, and authoritative Word of God. There is so much evidence for this in the Gospels that we can't begin to cover it all in one morning. So I'm going to limit our, our look to the Gospel of Matthew only and the evidence there for Jesus' view of the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. We're going to go through it quickly this morning as we approach the time to celebrate our graduates. Number one, and if you're following uh, with a printed bulletin or online on your phone, uh, we'll start here with the, the fill-in-the-blank part. The events surrounding Jesus' birth and early life life were based on Scripture. You'll see this everywhere as you read through the four Gospels. <clears throat> After Joseph and Mary were told that Mary was going to have a child and that which was conceived in her was from the Holy Spirit, we read all this took place, why? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Scripture. The Old Testament book of Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. After Jesus was born, wise men came seeking him. So King Herod asked the priest and scribes where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet, O you Bethlehem in the land of Judah, or by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Scripture guided the location of his birth. After his birth, an angel told Joseph to take Jesus and Mary and flee to Egypt because Herod was going to try to kill the child. So he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Why? This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son, fulfilling scripture. Finally, after Herod's death, we read, of Joseph, that he went and lived in a city called Nazareth with Jesus and Mary. Why? So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The events of Jesus' life are coming about in fulfillment of Scripture. The events of his birth and early life were based on Scripture. Number two, as we see Jesus begin to minister, we see that Jesus relied upon Scripture as God's authoritative word, settled authority. Satan tempted Jesus when Christ was in the wilderness 40 days fasting, and he said, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus didn't argue with Satan. He simply quoted Scripture. From the book of Deuteronomy, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan didn't stop there. He tempted Jesus 
to throw himself down from a high place and put God to the test, but Jesus simply said, again, it is written, quote, from the book of Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then Satan said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus simply said, be gone, Satan. Why? For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. For Jesus to say, it is written, it is in Scripture, is to say, the matter is settled. There's no more debate. It is enough. Jesus relied on Scripture as God's authoritative word. So the next time someone says to you, I like Jesus, but I don't like the Bible. I like Jesus, okay, but I reject the Old Testament and what it teaches. When you reject the scripture, you are rejecting the source of authority on which the Lord Jesus Christ came and lived and died and gave his life. Number three, Jesus lived in fulfillment of scripture. Jesus did what he did. He went where he went. He was guided where he was guided to go in fulfillment of scripture. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. What was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in a region in shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. Later in his ministry, we read that Jesus was preparing for his entry into Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion, and he told his disciples to go to a certain place and locate a donkey. He was going to ride in on that donkey. Why? Jesus tells him, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs him, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. He did what he did in fulfillment of Scripture. Number four, Jesus taught that Scripture must be fulfilled. And again, the only Scripture he knew was what we call the Old Testament. Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. This is a, a really strong statement as to Jesus' belief in the authority of Scripture, but also in his very own authority to be the one to fulfill Scripture. You know, this, this complaint about the Old Testament comes, comes out a lot today. I read this from people who want to uh, disregard uh, some teaching, moral teaching of the Old Testament by pointing to some law of the Old Testament that seemingly could have no relevance whatsoever for us. For example, the person who says, well, you know, the Old, the Old Testament says don't sow your field with two types of seeds. So obviously, it's not relevant. We reject what it says about 
sexuality or some moral issue, something like that. Scholars, biblical scholars for years have categorized the Old Testament law this way. They have said that Old Testament law can put into three, be put into three groupings or categories. There, there are the civil laws that were given for Israel as a nation, given to highlight their separation to God as a special people. Then there were the ceremonial laws. These were the laws that were to guide their worship, all the, the uh, temple uh, worship, the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, the bloodshed to atone for sin. These were part of the ceremonial laws. But then there are the moral laws, the laws like the Ten Commandments uh, that point us to loving God and, and loving others. It is widely held by biblical commentators and scholars over time that civil and ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Christ and are not binding on Christians. For example, we no longer sacrifice animals to atone for our sins. No believers in the New Testament did that. Jesus was the final sacrifice for our sins. Furthermore, Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7 and verse 19, declared all foods clean so that the Apostle Paul could say everything is good, he's talking about food, and nothing to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving because it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So if you want to go to lunch today and get a pepperoni pizza or a ham sandwich or eat shrimp or something like that, Thank God for it. Give God thank for it. And it'll be sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Jesus declared all foods clean. However, the moral laws, Jesus himself fulfilled them in that he walked perfectly in obedience to them and he never sinned. But the moral law is to be filled in believers as we follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul could write, Oh, no one anything but to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's why Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, in your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments rest all the law and the prophets. Jesus taught the Scripture must be fulfilled. And related to this, he himself taught with the authority to explain and apply that scripture, as we see as we look further here now in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus goes on, <clears throat> after saying that all scripture must be filled, he, he begins talking about the Ten Commandments, the moral law. And he says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Well, that's one of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not murder. We know that. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. Wow. In verse 27, he says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Notice first that Jesus is putting his own words on a par with Scripture. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, 
He's speaking with authority, and his words do carry the weight of Scripture and, in fact, are Scripture for us. But he's raising the bar higher. He's going to the heart intent of the law. He's saying to those who said, well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. I've perfectly kept the law. He's saying there's more to it than that. Saying the law is to search your heart and expose your need, your need for the grace of God. It's intended to show us that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot perfectly keep the moral law. We need the grace of God given us through the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we will walk in love toward God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love our neighbors as ourselves, we fulfill the law because we obey in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number six. Jesus' teachings throughout his ministry were based on Scripture. We read in Matthew 22 that a group of Sadducees had come to test Jesus, to try to entrap him, to trap him in something that he might say. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection after death. <clears throat> and Jesus was correcting them when he said these words. He said to them, you're wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read, remember, he's saying you don't know the scriptures, have you not read what was said to you by God, quote, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, the quote there comes from Exodus 3.15, but here's the point. Jesus is saying the Scriptures, that which is read, as you notice again, he's saying, have you not read what was said to you by God? He's saying that Scripture is God speaking to you. Scripture is the voice of God. Scripture is God speaking. Have you not read what was said to you by God? The Gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus would refer to Scripture as the Word of God and said it cannot be broken. In John chapter 17, Jesus would say to the Father, your word, thy word is truth. God's word is truth. Jesus' teachings are based on Scripture. And then finally, Jesus suffered and died in fulfillment of Scripture. Before he was arrested, he told his disciples, you will all fall away because of me tonight. Why? How did he know that? Why did he say that? Because it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He quotes an Old Testament verse. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Shortly after this, in the same chapter of Matthew, a crowd came to arrest Jesus in the garden where he had been praying one of his disciples pulled out a sword to fight back. Jesus said, put it away. Do you not think that I cannot now appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus is saying, it's got to happen this way because the scriptures predict it. It must be so. 
At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching you. You did not seize me. But all this has taken place. Why? That the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then they left him and fled. Jesus knew that the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, had very clearly predicted the suffering of the Messiah. One of the clearest passages, if you've never studied any of those, is the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah lived about 700 years before Christ was born. The scriptures of Isaiah were intact well before the birth of Christ. That was proven us with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, though it was known before that. Isaiah says, for example, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus died on the cross. He was pierced. He bled. He died to pay for our sins. It's what we call the gospel. The gospel in the Old Testament fulfilled by Christ in the New. And now, explained for us very clearly in the 27 books of the New Testament. Before you reject the authority of Scripture... Before you go off to college and take a class in religion in which the professor scoffs at anyone who would believe that all Scripture is inspired by God, remember that by rejecting the authority of Scripture, you're rejecting the authority on which Jesus came and lived and taught and suffered and died and was raised from the dead. Remember that Jesus himself said to the Father, thy word is truth. And so in closing this morning, just two questions by way of application. Number one, am I building my life on Scripture like Jesus did? To build your life on Scripture is to build your life on, on truth. Secondly, will I follow Jesus' example of holding to God's truth with love for all people? We don't want to be like the Pharisees with whom Jesus was often at odds. They held very much to truthfulness of Old Testament Scripture, although with many of their own traditions mixed in. But they lacked the love for the people, for the sinner, for the hurting, for the poor, the despised, those with whom Jesus dined and fellowshiped. We want to be like Jesus. Jesus never compromised truth in his love for people. And that's who we want to be like. Well, I follow Jesus' example of holding to God's truth with love for all people. We're going to try in the next several weeks to, to uh, really apply this idea of holding fast to truth, but doing it with love for all people. Uh, and we're going to look at some, some controversial issues in the next week. And as a heads up to, to parents here who are in the custom of bringing your young children with you, we will talk about some issues next week dealing with uh, sexuality in particular and many of the cultural issues around that today that are in our news and everywhere before us all the time right now. And so just a little heads up, parents, if, if you're not yet ready to have those kinds of 
conversations with your kids. Obviously, we'll be nothing graphic in our service, but we'll be talking about what the scripture says on these issues. And so, um, if you're not ready to start answering questions about that on the drive home from church, it might be a good week next week to let your child explore the great joy of Kids Rock or the marvelous ministry in Noah's Ark. We're really proud of those ministries here. Would you join me now as we pray? Father, we come in the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Savior who gave his life for us, the Savior who said, thy word is truth. I especially pray for our students, Lord, middle school, high school, graduates, those in college, Lord, that they'd be strong in you and in the power of your might and strong in your truth. And when they face challenges, may they find that they will grow stronger in their faith in you and in the authority of your word. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has never placed his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord. I pray today that you bring that one to a true and saving knowledge of who you are. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.